Get ready. It's a long reading. It's from 1 Samuel 24, and it's the whole chapter. And it's on page 296 if you're using the church Bibles. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner, corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king, when Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there's nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. I have, you have treated 
You've treated me well, but I've treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord gave me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the day you treated me today, for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for giving Peter your word. We ask you to prepare our hearts so that we will have something new of you to take away with us this morning. So speak to us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wasn't here last week, but I listened to Rachel's, uh, the recording of Rachel's sermon uh, last week, and uh, she began by asking you a question, if you remember, if you were here. Uh, she said, is there someone in your life that you look up to as a leader? Well, let me start by asking you a different question. Is there someone in your life that you consider an enemy? Well, maybe that word enemy is a bit strong. Uh, Maybe there's someone in your life you consider is a difficult person. Now, if you're married, you're not allowed to look at your spouse at this point. (laughs) And uh, it's certainly not a question I want you to share the answer with with anyone either. Uh Uh, But just keep it to yourself. But maybe you you have a difficult person in your life. Uh, Maybe uh, someone that you uh, have to have a lot to do with. Uh, It may be someone in your family. Uh, it may be uh, someone who is down your, a neighbor who lives down your street. Uh, I'm guessing probably there's someone in your, in your life that you find difficult to get on with or just grates on you in some way or other. Now, David certainly had a difficult person in his life and no prizes for uh, saying the answer to this. Of course, it's Saul, King Saul. Now, Saul wasn't just a difficult person. King Saul was out to bring David down. He was out, in fact, to kill him. He was his implacable enemy. You've heard about this in uh, the talk last week, uh, that uh, that Saul is doing everything he can to bring David down. And uh, that relationship, that that relationship of, of, of real tension begins... Back in chapter 18, you don't have to look it up, but I'll read you the verse. It's 1 Samuel 18, verse 12. It's the first time we hear that this relationship uh, goes this way. It says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David but had departed from Saul. So basically what's going on is that to this point, Saul has enjoyed the blessing of God, the anointing of God, But at this point, the spirit departs from Saul and rests on David. This is before Pentecost, okay? 
So the, sort, the, the Spirit rests on particular people at particular times. But the, the Spirit now rests on David. And so Saul is jealous, filled with jealousy, filled with hatred for David. This, you know, he's a nobody, this boy. He's from Bethlehem. He's a shepherd. He's the youngest of the clan. Who does he think he is? Uh, and Saul basically is out to get him from that point onwards. And remember, all of these episodes we're looking at in David's life are to, to teach us lessons about life. And to teach us these valuable life lessons in our walk with Jesus. Because these episodes show how David develops and grows from being this shepherd boy to becoming the king of Israel. In fact, as we are hearing, he's a man after God's own heart. Now, if you remember, uh, a few weeks ago, John Language began this series and Quite rightly, he said that not many of us, in fact, I don't think any of us, uh, will become king or queen, or even prime minister. But, but if you're a Christian here today, if you've got, if your trust is in the Lord Jesus, you have a great destiny. You have an amazing destiny because you are an heir to the kingdom of God. You are a child of God. You're a child of the Most High. So therefore, we have a destiny as uh, of, of, of having that status. And so in this life, we are being equipped for the life eternal. This is why we need to learn these life lessons now. So what does the life of David teach us in this particular passage, in this episode we're looking at today? Well, it's going to teach us about how we can be a good follower of Jesus, a good disciple, a good apprentice of King Jesus. And David, the shepherd boy, has got to learn how he needs to depend on God and how he needs to let God be God. He needs to learn his place, quite simply. And, and God is teaching him again through this difficult man he's put in his path again and again. By putting Saul in his path, God is teaching David that lesson. And so let's look at the story in chapter 24, 1 Samuel. Now, like last week, it's, it's a long reading, not quite as long as last week, but it's, it's, it's a, a long reading, and we don't have time to do it all justice in, in this uh, time we have now. And so in your home groups, that the time, that's really the time for you to dig, dig deeper into this passage and look at it again uh, and dig into it. But uh, as last week, David is on the run. He's on the run from Saul, and this time he is hiding in a cave. Verse 1. After Saul had returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfolds along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, we know from the previous chapter that uh, Saul is, uh, has sort of left off his pursuit of David to pursue the Philistines. The Philistines have attacked all of a sudden, so he, he goes off, Saul goes off to try and defend uh, the land from the Philistines. But here we get an insight into, the, into how single-minded Saul is in his pursuit of David. Because you see in verse 1, he's given up the hunt for the Philistines to, re, re, uh, to rejoin the hunt for David. And he's got spies who are looking out for David. He's got these people, you know, telling him where David is. And they're able to tell him exactly where David is hiding when he uh, gets back. 
And so on returning, Saul sets out to find David with 3,000 able young men, the best of his troops he goes with to find David. And we know from the previous chapter that David has only got 600 men with him. So Saul is outnumbering David five to one. He's got five times the number of men in pursuit of David. He's drained his army of the best men to pursue David. He's single-mindedly pursuing that target, his, you know, to try and get David in the midst of the Philistine threat. And so this is, this is Saul's obsessive rage here. He's, he's out of touch with reality. And so Saul is told that David and his men are hiding in, in the region of En Gedi. And uh, if you look at the map, if you can sort of picture it, Jerusalem and southeast of Jerusalem, you've got the Dead Sea. It's basically near the Dead Sea. That's where they head off to. And so they get to the, uh, the to that area, that desert, and, uh, and, and, you know, Saul, you know, maybe just hasn't been to the toilet recently, but it says quite, you know, quaintly, it says he goes to relieve himself. He answers a call of nature. And, and there in verse 3 begins this great twist in the story. Because Saul heads up into the cave, you know, to, uh, to tend to urgent matters. And this cave is the very cave that David and his men are hiding in. What is the, you know, if, if, if you know anything about that region, what are the chances of that? Of all the caves in that, in that wilderness, there will be hundreds of caves. Saul heads for the cave where David is hiding with his men. And so straight away, David's men absolutely have no doubt as to what's going on. And they say, this is the Lord's provision. This is the Lord's uh, gift to you. Verse 4, the men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So David's men see the fulfillment of, of a prophecy where the Lord has said that he will give Saul into his hands, that, that he will be, that David will be king. And so they say, this is it, David, this is your moment, this is your opportunity, this is Saul given to you on a plate. He's on his own, unarmed, and no protection around him. And they're right, aren't they? This is David's moment. This is when he's been, the moment he's been waiting for. And so he sneaks down with his sword, down to where Saul is. But then bizarrely, what do we see in verse 4? All that David does is cut off a corner of Saul's robe. That's it. He doesn't kill him. He doesn't take him hostage. He doesn't even talk to him. He just reaches out and cuts a corner of his robe. And then all of a sudden we're told he is conscience-stricken, mortified by what he's done. He's cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And he, and he goes back to his men and he says in verse 6, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the Lord's anointed. Not only that, it then goes into a description of, of David, blasts his men and he tells them off. Uh, for even suggesting that he do such a thing. And you can imagine his, his soldiers, it's a complete state of disbelief. Why haven't you done, why haven't you, you let this slip through your fingers? You've got Saul there before you could have, you know, that would have been it. 
You could have wiped them out. Not a, you know, nothing against, you know, not even, no, he hasn't scratched him. He just cut off a corner of the road. That's it. So why doesn't he take that opportunity? Why didn't he step through this wide open door of opportunity and step into the destiny that God had for him? I mean, David knew he was to be king. God had promised that. He's, an, he's the anointed of God. Samuel has said, you will be king of Israel. And here's Saul, right for the picking, right in front of him, unprotected, wandered into a cave, unarmed, all alone. And for the, for the men, this is obvious, this is the Lord's doing to bring those promises to fulfillment. So why didn't David, why did he let it go? Well, we don't know. But we can sort of guess from what he then says to Saul afterwards because he makes a speech to Saul. And I think as he, as he approached Saul in that cave, I think a question arose in his mind. And I think the question was, is this providence or is this temptation? Is it the Lord's provision or this is, is it temptation? Because on the one hand, yes, it's providence. David is the anointed future king by the prophet Samuel. He knows the prophet, the promises. He knows the prophecies. He knows that God wants him to be king. And here's Saul happening to walk into this cave at this time. Surely this is it, the unmissable sign. It's so obvious. But is it, or is it temptation? Yes, the promise is that he will become king, but is this the way it's going to be? Is this the way to become king? Through the breaking of the Lord's commandments, through blatant and cowardly murder, through treason, through abusing the sanctity of the Lord's anointed, no matter how insane that man is. As I said, there's detail we don't have time to look into, but do dig into it. Chapter, um, in verses 8 to 15 in this chapter, uh, David makes a speech to Saul. And you can see his reasoning uh, in that speech. And it's not that the Lord's promises aren't any good. It's not that. He's not having second thoughts about becoming king. In fact, the opposite. It's because David refuses to take by force what God has said he will give to him as a gift. He's not going to grasp at the Lord's promise. He's not going to take it prematurely in a way that is against what God has said in his commandments. No, he's going to wait for the Lord himself to fulfill what he's promised in accordance with the way in which he has deemed it right to fulfill. Deuteronomy 32, verse 35. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says God. And David echoes that in his, in his speech in verse 12. He says to Saul, May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. And so you see, David is learning another valuable lesson in readiness for becoming king. The lesson of patiently waiting for the Lord. David is not going to take matters into his own hands. He's not going to rush ahead, ahead of what God is doing. He's not going to grasp by force what the Lord has promised to him in faith and by faith. So what can we learn from this chapter about our walk of faith, our journey with Jesus? 
There's so much you can learn here, but I just, just picked out three things that, that I think are, are really helpful in how we walk with Jesus, how we relate to others. Firstly, I think it's about waiting for the Lord's timing and not going ahead of him. Not acting prematurely when we think it's the right time to do something. Yes, David could have got rid of Saul, he, uh, but he knew that was wrong. He'd learned to wait for what God has had ordained. Psalm 27, one of his psalms, he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He learned that truth through bitter experience, hadn't he? Now, I could launch into another whole sermon here about the, the value of waiting, but I won't. But I wonder how you are doing, how you are doing when it comes to waiting patiently for the Lord. You might find it easy, you might find it incredibly difficult. But as you heard, those prayer times in August, they are there to help us just to come and be in the Lord's presence. To hear His voice. Not to come with an agenda, not to come with a, a set of things that we're going to say to God, but to take the time to hear what He wants to say to us. Waiting isn't passive, it's active. It's, a, it's aligning ourselves with God's will, joining in with his heart. Secondly, there's a big theme here of loving your enemies. Jesus says a few things about that, doesn't he? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's not an easy thing to do, is it? We're asked to love that difficult person to pray for them. And it goes against the grain, doesn't it? But that's what Jesus did. As he was nailed to the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. At that moment, he prays for those people who are nailing him to the cross. That is deep love. That is deep forgiveness. Deeper than we'll ever get our heads around. And so I ask you, and I ask myself... How are we doing in loving those who are against us? I'm guessing you haven't got a soul breathing down your neck. But how are you doing on loving that person who gets on your nerves, who, who maybe tries to bring you down, who maybe talks about you behind your back, whatever it is. And don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that we become a doormat. It doesn't mean that you let that person trample all over you. And uh, No. Maybe love is standing up to them and saying, enough is enough. David is no pushover, is he? Absolutely not. And yet he still manages to show respect and concern for Saul. If you read that speech, you'll see how he does that. So waiting for the Lord, loving our enemies, and thirdly, it's about respecting our leaders. Despite the fact that Saul is out to get him and, and kill him, David still has a respect for the king. Now, I, may, I realize it may not be the time to raise it, but it won't have escaped your notice that we have a new prime minister this week. The Conservative Party have elected a new leader this week. And so what should our attitude be to Boris Johnson? I'm, I'm not going to get into party politics. It's not uh, what I'm going to do. But it's worth a discussion in your home group this week. What should our attitude be to uh, uh, Boris Johnson? Like him or loathe him, he's the Prime Minister. 
And whatever else we might do or say, we need to pray for him and pray for his covenants. But this made me think also, uh, if you are here a few weeks ago when Kathy Malins was preaching, she challenged us about this, didn't she? She talked about simply praying for our leaders to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, it comes back to that, you know, not praying with an agenda, but praying blessing on our leaders, especially those who find difficult. It's costly, it's hard, but that's what Jesus does. He loves, he loved the world with that costly love that led him to the cross. So, David. David the follower. David the follower by this point at the end of this chapter is still on the run from King Saul. If you notice, the very last verse says, basically, it goes back to where it started. David goes off to hiding and Saul goes back to Jerusalem. It seems nothing has changed. Saul is still not given up on the chase. But we need to learn. And my encouragement to you this morning is to learn from this episode from King David, from David's life. Three things. Wait patiently for the Lord. Love your enemies. Pray for those people that you find difficult. Bless them. And pray for our leaders that they too may come to know the Lord Jesus and serve the true King. King Jesus who loves us with a true and everlasting love. Let's pray. King Jesus, we bow our knees to you. And we want to serve you with our lives. Thank you for this uh, episode, this, this life lesson we've learned from David as he is pursued by Saul. Help us, Lord, to wait for you. Not to rush ahead of you, but to listen for your still, small voice. Give us, Lord, that courage to love our enemies. And Lord, help us to pray for our leaders. In Jesus' name.